All right, switching gears now and talking about the situation in Russia or Ukraine, I guess, and how it translates to, well, the entire world at this point, specifically around the price of oil, what that's doing to the price of gas. I mean, we covered the story pretty thoroughly yesterday. Um, Of course, the world is wrestling with the situation in Ukraine. And part of the struggle here, indeed, a very big part of the struggle is energy. Um, Russia is one of the world's leading producers of oil and gas. You know that. And a lot of Western nations, especially in Europe, are utterly reliant upon the oil and gas they produce in Russia. So to inflict real financial pain on Russia would mean inflicting real financial pain on themselves, which is the holdup and why it's not happening. U.S. did it. Canada did it. Sure. Really doesn't make that much difference. Uh, It's another story. If the European Union was to try and take the same steps banning Russian imports, it's completely, completely different. Um, And that's the situation we find ourselves in. Everywhere on earth, we're now dealing with the soaring oil prices, soaring gas prices, record highs. There is no shortage of ideas on exactly how we get ourselves out of this mess and how we got ourselves into this mess. To talk about that, we have Dave Yeager joining us, an energy policy analyst, an oil and gas writer, and author of From Miracle to Menace, Alberta, A Carbon Story. Dave, thanks for joining us again. Nice to chat. Uh, good morning. You know, whenever we talk about this issue, and I've said going back long before this Russia thing, and I think you have too, when it comes to energy and the environment, we've got we've got the aspirational policy that we hear from the politicians, and we've got the reality on the ground, and they're not the same. And in the end, reality wins out. You have to come back to reality sooner or later, and maybe that's what's happening now. We all want to move away from oil and gas, but we haven't yet, and suddenly when it gets to a situation like this, we realize, like, oh boy, maybe we got ahead of ourselves. Well, there's no question the world was lulled into a false sense of security in the period from uh, 2009 to 2019. Uh, the Great Recession, the last economic recession of 08 09, everybody blames it on subprime mortgages, but actually the real problem was oil hit $145 a barrel in uh, 2008. The price of wheat went through the roof. The parallels to the then and now are very similar. And so, um, so what happened in, uh, in, in 2019? Uh, or 2009, excuse me, after the, the the financial crisis, government started what they called quantitative easing, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, put a lot of uh, liquidity into the economy, which gave more people more disposable income. But more importantly, the oil industry, oil industry, in, uh, oil industry in Canada the U.S. started drilling. And between 2008 and 2020, North America put 10 million barrels of oil on the market. 8 million came out of the shale oil in, uh, in the United States, and 2 million came out of the oil sands. And this righted the ship. What happened in 2015, oil prices collapsed. So we had this period where oil, energy was cheap, yep. oil was cheap, interest rates were low. You know, what a great party. And, every, and we, so we got we to talk about what we, not what we are doing, what we should do. And there were lone voices all through this period uh, that talked about energy security and the international energy. And, and even after COVID, when oil went to, you know, almost to zero, everybody said, well, that's the end of oil. Sunset industry, we don't need this anymore. There were voices uh, warning that um, that by 23-24, if the oil industry didn't go back to drilling, uh, that uh, that we were going to have a shortfall, global shortfall. And then what happened is the Russia-Ukraine crisis actually just accelerated something that was in the cards anyway. And then you add in the fossil fuel divestment movement, elections won on there. How much can I? How much can I punish oil? How quickly? So we we really bungled this. <laughs> and I, when I say we, it is it is really the Western world, the OECD countries. Uh, the, even OPEC was warning about oil. And uh, Russia was drilling. It's uh, it's a bizarre set of circumstances, but here we are. Yeah, and you know, you talk about the history of this and going back through history and where we are. There, there, there's no shortage of historical examples about basically, like you said, 
the very situation that we find ourselves in right now. I mean, this is sort of, we get to a point where something like this happens and it, and it checks where we are. Except we get amnesia. <laughs> Go back to the 70s. <laughs> that was the first time in 1973 when OPEC, it, it, oil's always been geopolitical from a military point of view, like modern armies have been part of oil. But it became a geopolitical weapon against countries in 1973 with the OPEC embargo of the countries that supported Israel in the Arab-Israeli war. And that was the United States and, uh, and European countries. And then, and then we had a, her- a terrible, terrible time. And, I, and I, unfortunately, it portends to where we are now. The price of oil went up 10 times, uh, 1,000% from 1973 to 1979. And the reaction in the world, and we're seeing this today, was, was uh, runaway inflation, incredibly high interest rates. It was awful. And that problem was ultimately solved with demand destruction. The price went so high that uh, people couldn't afford to buy it anymore, and fuel-efficient cars, natural gas, nuclear power. Yeah. But more importantly, it, it went, uh, the OECD responded. The uh, America brought on the North Sea oil and, the, you know, the Alaska pipeline. The, Europe brought on the, the, or sorry, the Alaska North Slope, and Europe brought on the North Sea. And even the federal government, Ottawa and Ontario, wrote checks for the Syncrude. And and we fixed it. We we added capacity and 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 and, and tempered demand, put in some alternate sources, and oil didn't move for fifteen years. And same thing as oh wait, like we've been through this before. Sure. Security supply, and then it was the West. It was the West that solved the problem. It wasn't OPEC. It wasn't Russia. It was it was uh, North America and Europe that solved the problem. And unfortunately, these are the uh, these are the nations or these are the jurisdictions that elected governments on anti-oil platforms. So the solution is in our hands. I wrote an uh, extensive piece on this yesterday for EnergyNow.ca. If you want to go hunt for it, but I mean, you know, the solution is to go is to is to get back drilling. We're we're going to have to. Someone is going to have to admit we miscalculated, and they're going to have to put the next election or their political agenda ahead of what the world needs. And the, the one thing we're not talking about, and, I, and you have to talk about it, is the price of food. And I saw this interview on BNN yesterday that uh, the price of fertilizer is up 300%. The, the 30% of the world's wheat comes from Ukraine, uh, Ukraine and uh, Russia. And Ukrainian farmers should be seeding or fighting for their lives. Right, the yeah. ports are blocked. I mean, this, is, this, is, this, is, this affects billions of people. And, and so I did this uh, radio interview last week and you know, a dedicated progressive climate uh, uh, you know, oil fossil fuel said, well, the real solution is Quebec exporting green hydrogen. Oh, come on. I mean, you know, <laughs> they, 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 need, they need oil, they need gas, and not just for heat, but for food. And so I, I just, I don't know when, when the, the tall foreheads that tell everyone how to live their lives and tell us what to do are going to get a map of the world and, and see what, what's going on to 7.9 billion people, depending on what happens in Russia. This is bad, and I, I fear it could get worse if, 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 they, if they do what they have to do, which is further restrict Russian uh, oil exports. Then everything I just spoke about is going to get worse. I, the, I just, that's I'm the only sorry. option, Dave. That's, I think that's the only option other than you know military conflict, which thankfully everyone seems to want to avoid. The, the, the interesting part to me around all of this is, okay, I think, you know, whether or not they're going to come out and say, hey, we need to drill. That's what we need to do. We need to increase the supply. I don't know if they're actually going to take that step and come out and say it, but just look at what's happening right now. You've got literally, you've got American officials in Venezuela. They're having discussions with Iran 
and with Saudi Arabia. Why? Because they want them to increase the global oil supply. So they've made the omission that the way out of this is to increase global oil. Um, obviously, they they recognize it, but we still, it seems like it's happening almost behind the scenes. It's multifaceted in the sense that there's also what they've done to capital markets. You may recall that Mark Carney probably went to COP26 in November and came back with $130 trillion of commitments to not fund. The Canadian banks have done it. The institutional investors have done it. You know, what happened in the 70s was a lot of stripper production came on. on the little wells that were marginal became profitable again. They put a lot more oil on than anyone thought by getting everything going. We need money for that. Mm-hmm. And so denying the fossil fuel industry money has been a badge of honor for the for the loss of the wall. So capital remains constrained. A lot of companies are the bankers are worried about their balance sheets. There's a, there's a lot of factors. So there's really five players in my view that have to come together on this. It would be nice if the if the environmentalists would just take the rest of the year off, and if you could, and just let us fix a few things. And the people that are sending the money, you know, maybe send it to Ukraine instead. The federal government's got to change the channel. The two provinces that could help are Quebec and B.C. B.C. has got a land claim issue in the northeast that could be resolved. They make sure those pipelines get built. Quebec could just look around and say, what have I done? Uh, the um, and the oil and the capital markets have just got to say, well, wait a second here. Uh, I mean, the, the whole concept of ESG investing is stakeholder capitalism. We're supposed to do the morally right thing. Well, the morally right thing is to, is to get the world some energy and some food. And then in the end, if they, if they could get those things, the industry has the cash. The industry's got to go back to work. There's all kinds of reasons and all kinds of challenges, but I just wish we could raise the the level of discussion to that everybody could agree on a, on a fact set yeah. uh, like the one I'm portraying today and agree to be this. This is a really serious global problem, and let's start thinking uh, with about real serious global solutions, not not posturing, and that's too bad. Um Dave, what do we do? I mean, we're in the glue now, today, uh, next week. Um, th- th- that's part of the problem, I think, here. You know, you know, I know the premier's down there talking about Alberta oil, and uh, from all the analysts that I've read, yeah, I mean, we can increase production a little bit, maybe, in a while. Um, it doesn't happen quickly. So what do we do, you know, in the short term here? Are we just going to have to grin and, well, not grin, but grit our teeth and bear what's coming? I gritted my teeth about half an hour ago when I filled up uh, my car yeah, run pie yeah. test at a buck ninety three a liter. Holy cow! That's a li- outside of Europe. That's a lifetime record for me. No, we can start today. Uh, there are a lot of supply chain issues, and there's a lot of regulatory issues, and there's a lot of permitting issues. But we could start moving the needle. I'd say later this year. You know, Q four. Yeah, people can yeah. go to work. Uh, I'd say that they could put on what they could. They save this pipeline constraints, but there's always crude by rail. So we could start firing up uh, the wells that are shut down. There's supply chain issues in the in the oil patch, but people say well, they can't get the labor. Well, they they have the cash. The industry is is long on cash at these prices. There's a price at which people will go back to work. <laughs> they could re- realign supply chains if if this became the issue. I I think it should be, and I think a lot of people that won't be listening to this show believe it should be the people that are on fixed income, to whom the, the rising price of energy and the price of, price of food is, is incredibly disruptive. And none of those people, we're not hearing from any of those people. Nobody is <laughs> going asking uh, the, uh, the average person is grumbling about the price of gasoline. And we, 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 we have it so lucky in Western Canada in yeah. some ways. Well, we're like Russia. We got food and energy, right? I mean, we're not going to run out of anything here. 
No, you're right. It may may cost us a little bit more, but even if it costs us more, Dave, it's going to be much less than it's going to cost the rest of the country, which is the ironic thing. The cheapest natural gas in the world is right here, and we should be thankful for that. But the, the, the point is, is all the people that are talking about the future of civilization and the future of of mankind, uh, I would just ask you, please have a look around the, the world and say, how's mankind doing with the price of wheat, the highest it's been in 14 years? What, yeah. what does this mean? What does it mean when the winter, when the winter, uh, the summer crop season comes in and the price of fertilizer is three times what it was last year? What does that mean, uh, you know, when the grain stocks from last winter are down and uh, and there's no replacement crops this year? What, is it, what does it look like in, in, in next fall and next winter? And, and I just wish people would, you know, maybe this will go away. Uh, maybe Russia will... Capitulate you know, overnight? Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, geez, I heard this interview with Shay Gannon. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I said, I am I ever I'm a dummy? You know? I'm going to yeah, stand down. Yeah, yeah I'll stand down. <laughs> uh, but issue a blanket of policy and start seeing the reconstruction. No, but I mean, this is what I... If, I mean, and, but the point is, it's, 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 it's more likely to escalate than, yeah. or stay the same sure. than it is to go away. And, and now they're talking about the, you know, Poland's a NATO country, and they're talking about some, we'll give them some old Russian jets. Yeah. And, holy cow, we're all, the whole world's on tenderhooks here. We haven't even got to the worst case, and I won't even mention it, but it starts with Anne. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, yeah, let's, you know, let's hope that standard heads prevail. And even, uh, for example, even in the Middle East, uh, apparently the, the media reports I read is that, um, um, Biden's gone to Saudi Arabia, and, and they won't take his call. They're aligned with, with Saudi Arabia. they got their nose out of joint. The break in oil prices this morning apparently came from the United Arab Emirates. They have some extra capacity, and they wanted to increase production uh, last summer. And they you know, they said, no, you'll have to. So there is some oil out there. So we there is, yeah. we got some breathing room on oil this morning. But it's just absolutely nowhere near the, the millions of barrels uh, that, that would be required to, to right the ship. And, and, and do the proper thing, which is uh, not support the Russian war effort by continuing to buy their oil and gas. That's the thing. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the conundrum. Uh, Dave, always uh, great chat. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much. Uh, boy, I can hardly wait till you phone me. We talk about something more pleasant. Yeah, me too. Me too. It'll happen. Thanks, Dave. Have, have a great day. Bye. You too. That is Dave Yeager, who is energy policy analyst, oil and gas writer, author of From Miracle to Menace, Alberta, A Carbon Story.